Praise God. Father, thank you for working in our midst here today. Thank you for the abundance of your presence, for the good pleasure of your will. Lord, we yield ourselves to you as vessels you can use and work through. Thank you. We acknowledge your presence. We believe in your, in your active work in our lives, that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for being at work in our hearts today. All the glory, all the praise be unto you, our most faithful God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Amen. I don't know about you, but I can tell the Lord is here. And I know I know that from the book, but you know, some things you know uh, because you were there when it happened. Amen. Amen. Congratulations on those who got baptized in water today. And uh, how many know uh, God doesn't have us, do a, have us do things just for religion's sake? <laughs> they produce real tangible change in life. Amen. Praise God. I do want to encourage anybody who is not yet a part of the church. What I mean by that is you're not serving. Uh, <laughs> that came out kind of <laughs> interesting, didn't it? <laughs> I'm probably not going to take it back. Uh, uh, if you, you haven't been to our brunch, our welcome brunch, right after this service, you can go. Yeah. Say, so do I need an invitation? You just got one. And so stick around, welcome brunch. You'll find out how to be connected. Not just, not just breathing the air, but be really connected. Praise God. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to preach, but it just feels good in here. Sometimes I just want to stand here for a little bit. Amen. Get your Bibles out just in case. <laughs> Bible laps. I want you to go to John chapter 17. We'll trust him to guide our steps the whole rest of our service today. We are not interested in just having a natural meeting. I don't know if that makes sense. We want it... <laughs> We acknowledge the, the spiritual presence of God, the reality that He is here speaking and working. This is, uh, the rest of this service is not limited to what I know. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Uh, we are yielded to what He knows. So you can't say something you don't know. Actually, you can. It's quite enjoyable. <laughs> As a preacher, sometimes to look back and say, where in the world did that come from? That came straight from the throne of heaven, and it, sneaked, it snuck out my mouth. <laughs> and uh, so I'm listening too sometimes while I'm preaching. Praise God. Uh, John, do you find that? John chapter 17. And notice with me verse 23, 1723. Jesus is in the middle of a prayer here, and he's saying to the Father, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. What should be my understanding of how God loves me? How he loves Jesus. Yeah, because they're the same. And Jesus is extremely lovable, by the way. <laughs> I mean, he, there's nothing about him not to like. And so the fact that God would love Jesus is not really a surprise to me, to, to us. Uh, 
but to know that he would love me the same as he loves Jesus, that can kind of tweak our brains a little bit. It's like, don't, don't you know me? Yeah, he does. And still loves us to that same level, at that same, uh, to that same standard of how he loves Jesus. One of the messages that God wanted to be made abundantly clear uh, when Jesus was on the earth was that he loved him. He, he, he revealed it in such a fashion so it would not only be known by Jesus, but it would be known by others around him. How he spoke publicly on two occasions out loud from heaven that Jesus was his son and that he was pleased with him and that he loved him dearly. And so God wanted that to be made known about him and it seems to be a consistent pattern we see in this verse here that the Father wants others to know how much he loves Jesus and us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if, if God wants others to know how much he loves you, do you think he wants you to know how much? I believe Jesus did know. I think sometimes we don't know. I think sometimes we lack this revelation of how much God loves us. Now, those who are in Christ, if you're a believer here today, you are frequently referred to in this book as his beloved. That's one of your descriptors. You are his beloved. You are loved by God. I think there are many things we could accurately use words we could use to describe the child of God. We could say redeemed. We could say saved, victorious. Um, we could use words like anointed or chosen and many more. But let's not leave this one out. This is one of the descriptors of God's family is we are called his beloved. Amen. You and I be loved. I want to use my best vocabulistics today. Uh, in fact, this is the foundation of, of our ability to love God and really to love anybody else. In fact, the scripture says over in, in the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Yeah, why do we love him? Because, he first, because I chose him, because I was smart and I kind of liked him. No, no. You love him as a response to his love. This is interesting to me that uh, that verse in some of the earlier manuscripts as it was translated into English does not have the word uh, him in there. It is omitted. And so, so let your thoughts go there for a moment. We, not only do we love him because he first loved us, we love because he first loved us. Our ability, our capacity to love, period, whether you're talking about the Father or anybody else, is rooted in and founded in his love for us. We love because we are loved. Amen. There's something I think that's, that's, that's not just surfacey there. It goes a few levels deeper at the very heart of who a human being is and why we need this so much. 
It's, it reveals why so many are so dysfunctional in their relationships, why they have a difficult time having a close walk with God. It is because they lack a revelation of God's love for them. They don't know how their Creator feels about them. And so I know that... Uh, you know, many are many focus in Christianity on our love for God, and for sure that's a Bible subject, and we could do a series on that about loving God and what that looks like and what that means. But I think sometimes people get the cart before the horse when they say you just need to love God. No, no, slow down. Woo. <laughs> no, I don't just need to love God. I need to receive His love for me. Because without that reception, without that revelation of what God thinks about me, I don't have the ability to adequately, to effectively, to truly love Him. It starts with God. It starts with His love for us. Amen. Have you ever tried to be in a relationship? Don't raise your hand in case they're, we're with, you, they're with you today. <laughs> tried to be in a relationship with someone who, who wouldn't receive love? who wouldn't accept that people love them, that you love them, or that God loves them. Uh, th that person is, is difficult to be in a relationship with. Why? They're often very insecure. They're always untrusting. They're questioning everything. They're fearful of rejection. And it's hard to get close to a person who has that uh, condition in their soul. Okay? That needs to be repaired for there to be uh, a relationship that can reach its potential. You know, I like to, if someone's single and looking for a spouse, I think you ought to take a real close look at that person's... Now, this may sound wrong. I'm not talking about judging someone or not accepting because of what's happened to them, but you have to be aware. What was their life growing up? What's their relationship with their parents? You know, are they from a broken home? I know many people are, but that needs, those things need to be considered. You know, anyone who's smart today who gets married goes through marriage counseling, <laughs> and a marriage counselor brings those things up. So I see, I see you came from this kind of background, and you have to deal with what kind of impact did that have on you? How do you view other people today because of, of that history? And I'm not saying people aren't fixable. I totally believe we're all repairable. <laughs> Uh, you can get down on the inside of us, and I'm not talking you have to lay on a couch for hours. I'm talking you can have a revelation from God Almighty about your place with Him. And when you fully come to grasp how much He loves you, you are now ready. You're ready to have relationships with Him. You're, ship with him. You're ready to have relationships with other people. But without that revelation, it's very difficult to love. It kinda, it's kind of this principle that you can't give what you don't have. And many people don't have it and they're trying to give and, and, and you know, th that's, true with, that's true with money. If I don't have money, I can't give you money. That's one reason I think God wants His people to have money. That goes contrary to, to poverty doctrines, but uh, God wants His people to have money. Say, why? Well, for multiple reasons. But here's one of them. So you can give money. Yeah, but if I, don't have, I don't, if I don't have skills, if I don't have an ability in some area, and you come to me and say, can you help me with this? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't possess that skill. If I have that, yes, then I can help you. I can't give what I don't have. And that is also true in this subject that we're talking about, being filled with the love of God. If I don't have love in me, I can't give any. 
Now, how many know as adults, uh, we should not be pulling on other people to fill our needs? We all, have an, we all have need. We have financial need. We have, you know, emotional need. And, and the person who's always pulling on someone else to supply for them, uh, you know, people are going to run from you. And, and if, even, even if you're married and you have this, these emotional deficits and you're always pulling on your spouse to, to love you, to give you, to do certain things for you, to, to fill that void of, of where you don't feel accepted or... or things of that nature, that's eventually going to harm that relationship. So what, what are you saying? What if I have a need? We need to go to the source. All right. Let people love you. Let people treat you however they're going to love you, treat you, whatever they're going to do. We don't control that. But I tell you, every one of us can and ought to go to the Father who calls us His beloved and say, show me, show me this. Give me a revelation of this. Help me to understand your ways and my place in your family. Amen. So did you catch that? Now, I want everybody to really do this. Do this during this season. Ask the Father for revelation, knowledge of his love. And, and how that works is then you put yourself in a position to get it by meditating on what he has said about you. Considering these teachings, some of you, I would encourage, I know I'm just, um, this is only the second part of the series, but I'd encourage you to listen to them like daily to repair some serious issues inside. It'll have such a positive effect upon you. But more than that, get the verses, write them down, think about them, pray about them, say, Lord, show me that. I think I understand it, but open it up to me. May I have an understanding of your great love. Amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 reads, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does Jesus on the cross mean for you and me? It is a demonstration, a graphic demonstration of God's love for us. But notice the, co the context, the, the qualifier of that is he did that while we were yet sinners. This shows us and reveals to us that our lack of perfection or any sin in our life does not disqualify us from God's love. I can disqualify myself a thousand ways from deserving God's love for me. How about you? It is not based on that. Amen. I mean, it's easy for us to sit there and think, yeah, right now I think I caught everything cleared out. All, there's no unconfessed sin. I'm not high. Uh, yes, I think I can accept God's love. Yeah, but we need to accept it when we have blown it. We need to accept it even though we, we, we come up short and, and, and fail in different ways. He loved us before we had any kind of new creation experience, before we were made alive in Christ. That's when he loved us. And I think that verse helps us to understand God's love is not contingent upon our sinlessness. Amen. Do you have a sense in your life, a sense in your heart of, of being liked by God? Do you, do you walk around with those thoughts saying, I think God really likes me for some reason. I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I think he really likes me. If you do, you're right. If you've never had that thought, I pray you start having it. Where 
geez, I think I think he kind of likes me. I think I think the Lord really he really wants me because he does. He absolutely does. Amen. And this belief is connected to our self-worth. It is connected to our ability to succeed in life. We will not be able to come before God appropriately until we have that. Our prayer life will be limited. It will be ineffective. Our worship, everything we do in our walk with God will be at arm's length unless we believe that He really wants us with Him and is happy to see us. I mean, do you like to go places where, where people don't like you? <laughs> I mean, if someone invited you over to a party at their house, some kind of event, and get together, and you say, hey, well, who's going? <laughs> and they named a bunch of people, and you thought, ah, those people don't like me. <laughs> You're probably not going to want to go, because that's an uncomfortable situation if you believe everyone around you doesn't like you. But what if it's the opposite? And they said, hey, you know, uh, this person's going to be there, and they're going to be, this person's going to be there. And you thought, wow, yeah, I think they like me. <laughs> well, you're, it's easy to go. There's no pressure. You walk in, and people are happy to see you. You're happy to see them. Uh, that is needed with God. It is needed to have a proper relationship with Him. We need to know He wants us at the party. <laughs> we need to know the invitation came at His choice. It wasn't like, you know, doing a wedding. It's, oh, we have to invite those people. <laughs> They're going to be offended if we don't invite them. <laughs> yeah, and so you never really understand God wants you at his party. Praise God. Go to Romans uh, chapter 8, if you would. Take a right turn. Romans chapter 8. Let me read this passage. This is a popular one, and I'm glad it is. Romans, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 35, Paul the Apostle wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice the, notice the subject here. The love of Christ. Uh, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him. Let me read the rest of that. Through him who loved us. Why stick the love thing in there? Because our overcomingness, our ability to succeed, is connected to his love for us. We conquer, we are more than conquerors because he loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is a list to let us know. Uh, you haven't been disqualified. <laughs> Nothing has happened in you or to you or through you or because of you that has disqualified you from God's love. So if I told you what I did this week, you might think different. No, I wouldn't. I would believe God over you. 
I would believe that in, independent of what you have done or have not done, that God still loves you. And this is what is needed for us to overcome, to have victory. Now, uh, none of these things can keep God from loving us. However, sometimes people walk away from God's love due to circumstances. This doesn't separate us from Him loving us. Have you ever noticed that sometimes what happens in life separates people from loving God back? And some of that is, is, is because of beliefs that are incorrect, that we think because of height or depth or, or things present or, th or all these things, that they happened as a, a, a matter of God's will that he did it to us, that he caused it or allowed it to happen. And I can see, I understand sometimes people being ticked off at God if they think that he did that to them. I mean, there's some cruel things that have happened to people in life. I mean, there are children that are born mangled up in disease. How, how could you love a God if you think he did that to a baby? See that, see, that kind of doctrine messes with the very character and heart of God himself. He does not do that to people. That is not according to his will and plan. See, I've gone through some hard things. I believe it. And, and if my heart hurts for you, having gone through some trouble, think how much more the heart of your father who loved you and gave his only son for your redemption. He is hurt by it even more. But we can sometimes allow these things around us to separate our love for him because of a wrong belief. But that's not what the message is. The message is no matter what happened to you, God is still on your side. He still wants to bring you through and bring you out and bring you victorious over it. Amen. Again, this is written by Paul. So this, you know, these words are written, inspired by God, but they're written by a person. And I like how he used the language here that he was persuaded. He was persuaded of God's love. That's one thing for Paul to be persuaded. I mean, it's another thing for you to be persuaded, for, for me to be persuaded of God's love. That's what we want. That's what I seek. That's what my prayer is for you today. You would be convinced, absolutely persuaded of God's love for you. You know, he wrote over in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 contains a good prayer. Concerns some, uh, you know, some good prayer requests in there in Ephesians 3. One of them, one of the parts of that prayer is, is in verse 19. And Paul prayed that you would, that we, you would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So my being filled with the fullness of God is connected to me receiving the love of God which passes knowledge. Now that's interesting to me how I can know something that passes knowledge. Kind of a paradox there. How can you know what you can't know? Well, some of it's experience. You can experience things from God that, you know, blow out your thoughts. You can have an experience of God being so generous and so kind and so merciful and so good. We've seen many times people get healed and walk out of the building saying, I still don't believe it. <laughs> well, that wasn't your faith. <laughs> that was, that was a, a, an overflow of the mercy of God. And I don't, I don't still understand it, why he would do that for me just because he loves you. You feel, you feel unworthy. I feel unworthy. He says, I love you anyway. This is how it works. This is love that passes knowledge. 
you can, you can know that His love for us is far more than we could ever grasp. Praise God. See, I know that God has, He's been stalking you since you were born. He really has been after you. From the, you popped out of the room and He said, I'm going after them. Arranging, sending angels, sending people, arranging circumstances so He can say, Hi, I like you. I want you. I think about you all the time. Got your picture in my wallet. Amen. <laughs> I mean, you think about parents who love their kids, especially nowadays when there's video and pictures of everything and it's everywhere. You know, and some of you, and I appreciate that, you know, some of you have kids and, I mean, you just, you have a phone, you know, your phone in front of them 24-7, <laughs> capturing every moment <laughs> of everything they do. Why? You're just enthralled by them. You just love them so much and you don't, you want to get it. You want to capture that. God feels more like that more than you do towards us. You're probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Um, remember the last part of that, which we typically know saying, saying this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will do what? follow me, follow me. I like one other translation. Uh, Pastor Doug used it earlier. Um, it says uh, in verse 6, so why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. But I like that. Your goodness and love do what? Pursue me. God has been pursuing you. He has been coming after you since the time that you showed up. That's his nature. We think, well, I just, I just chose the Lord. No, no, it works the other way around. We have some decision in the matter, but it's a responsive decision. It's not the initiator. You might recall, maybe you do, uh, but Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 is another popular passage where, where Jesus says, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Think about the position God has towards our lives. It's not us storming the, the, the gates of heaven, trying to bang on God's door to get him to open up and do something for us. It is the opposite of that. He's the one standing at the door. If there is a door between you and him, he is the one knocking. Not, I'm pursuing God. I'm going after him. If I could just get him to open up and respond to me. What? Well, you've got that backwards. He is the one saying, come on, open up. I want to come in. I want to hang out. I want to spend some time with you. I want to love on you. I want to show you my best. I want to show you my mercy. He's the one knocking at the door who gets to fellowship with, with, with the Lord the one who opens up amen I don't know if you've ever had a friend that would only be in the relationship if you initiated contact meaning if you contacted them yeah they'll connect and you'll go hang out and do stuff and be friends but you kind of felt like 
if ever I don't initiate, if ever I don't call, if I don't do something, I think this relationship might just go away. I don't know if you ever had that. It probably made you feel unwanted or unloved by that, by that person. But I want us to, to know God's perspective. He is the one who keeps calling. He is the one who keeps texting. He's the one who's knocking. He's the one who is often ignored. He is the one who is coming after us again and again and again. When I decided to seek the Lord, it's because He had decided a long time ago to pursue me. My response to Him was simply that, a response to Him. Jesus made this statement in John chapter 6. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. None of us came to the Lord because we were smart enough, we were good enough, we had just perfect, godly, kingdom-minded desires, and so we went after the Lord, and he opened the door to us. He had been knocking, he had been calling, he had been pursuing, he drew us, he worked in us, he sent people across our pathway, he brought us in front of the television, he brought us in front of the radio, different messages, different things, he was working on us, getting the message, he's still doing that for us. He, he is still doing that. Now, I don't, I don't want you and I to take advantage of this, but if you run away from him, he's going to go after you. Don't take advantage of that, but, you know, he, he really wants us. He'll call and say, what's up? Where you been? So you've heard that call. You were out goofing around, living, living in the world and living apart from him. And you can hear it. It's right on the inside of you. In fact, while I speak today, you res it resonates with you, kind of like smelling an old perfume. You know, so, hey, what is that? Man, that brings me back 20 years right there, that smell right there. And some of you hear the voice of the Lord inside of you, even as I speak under the anointing, and it brings you back. Oh, there that is again. Wow, I recognize that. Man, I like it. That's good. I have good memories with the Lord. He's bugging you. He's after you. Why? He wants you. He wants you in his life. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom and his plan. Everybody okay? You cannot have a proper relationship with God outside of knowing His love for you. He wants you. Your very existence brings Him pleasure. In fact, uh, John, the Apostle John, uh, wrote that. He wrote the book of Revelation. Remember John? He's an interesting guy. He wrote the book of Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John 1. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote Revelation. Same guy, John. And uh, let me give you this one, then I'll give you the rest. But one of the things he said about uh, the Lord, Revelation 4.11, from the King James, it reads, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Why do you exist? You bring God pleasure. He watches your videos. <laughs> at least some of them <laughs> Video, you know he watches videos of you like we would watch videos of our kids and ooh look at that man they're so good I like it when they do that you bring him pleasure I bring him pleasure 
Yeah, the very fact of our existence, it shows us the heart of God. But this guy, John, um, not only did he pen those words, but John is, he, he was very unique in this regard. In the Gospel of John, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that John, covering Jesus' life, he never mentioned himself in his own writing by name. He never said, I, John. What he did is he gave himself a descriptive title. And on five separate occasions, he talked about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And maybe that was out of humility, not wanting to name himself. I don't know. But I think that revelation that he had is amazing. He viewed himself and he knew. I like to say it this way for effect, but Jesus likes me. <laughs> More than that, he said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John who, it, it, it says, at the Last Supper, you know, when they all sat on the same side of the table? For the picture, I mean, you know. <laughs> Uh, at the Last Supper. In, in reality, though, here's something the photo may, or the drawing, whatever, may have had right, is it says John was leaning on Jesus. He was leaning on Jesus. He was tight with him. He was in the inner circle. Remember Peter, James, and John? There was an inner circle that Jesus revealed more things to than others. John was a part of that. He, he was sitting, he wanted to be close to the Lord. He knew that the Lord loved him. He wasn't bragging, but he was acknowledging his place with him. Now, something that, that's interesting to me about John, and, and I don't know this as a 100% matter of fact, but historically, the other apostles, the other original disciples, remember Judas went wrong, but then the other uh, Ten, then they all they were all martyred sometimes in very gruesome ways like being uh, well sometimes beheaded or hung, or crucified upside down that's what it said of Peter um, but they were all killed for their belief in, in in the Lord Jesus and 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 except for John John was the only one that died a natural death it seems like his now I'm going to connect these together and you can make your own judgment, but it seems like his revelation of God's love for him protected him. Remember uh, my illustration last week when I had two massive dudes standing up here behind me? I said, now, now they love me, so bring it. There is something about when you know the love of God Almighty. And he seemed to have that revelation more than anyone else. There are rumors, I don't know if it's factuality, but that, that they tried to boil John in oil. And that he just wouldn't boil. <laughs> but that he was supernaturally protected and they couldn't kill him. I don't know 100% if that's true. That's a well-known rumor. <laughs> but we do know this. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. He lived there for a while and then went back to Ephesus and, that, and that's where he lived out and, and died in a ripe old age. But this is John who knew how much he was loved. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that we would also know how much he loves us. If you don't think you're loved, 
you're not sitting right next to the Lord at the table. Hmm. You're wanting to, but if you know, huh, no, he'd be happy if I was there. He would like it if I got real close and kind of leaned on him. Hey, Jesus, what's up? I want us to have that kind of intimate, intimate relationship with the Lord. Where we, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, we're getting up close and leaning on him. We're just as close as you can get. There, how much space is between you and the master? We're just like that. Come on. Like the psalmist said, my soul follows hard or close after thee. Close after him. I'm walking tight. Amen. Say, can we all do that? If you know how much he loves you. Say it out loud today. Say, I am the Lord's beloved. Like it or not, he loves me. <laughs> Amen. Father, thank you for...